Hey, Goal Achievers. Welcome to the Elite Achievement Community. I'm Kristen Burke, your host and coach here to demystify the goal achievement process. If you are ambitious and visionary, then let's get to work so you can maximize your potential. Hey, Goal Achievers. Welcome back to Elite Achievement. I met today's guest over a decade ago when the company I was working at hired him as a consultant to work with our leadership team. I coordinated many of his workshops and sessions, and as a result, invited myself to attend for my own growth and development. He is the person who taught me you are either playing to win or playing not to lose. I am thrilled to introduce you to David Sheckman. David is a senior partner at Evolution and a committed coach who works with CEOs, high potential leaders, and professionals on mastering deep change. He has an unparalleled ability to cut through the fog of complexity, confusion, and fear. David's experience includes two decades of work in training and development, organizational consulting, and executive coaching. Welcome, David. Great to be here, Kristen. It's great to connect with you for the podcast. And I'm curious, what inspired you to start coaching? Yes. So I think I have a pretty unique background compared to a lot of coaches. I initially got into this line of work through the family business. When I was in middle school, I believe, my dad was coming out of a career in academia, social work, psychotherapy. He was inspired by all of that work with human potential and growth, but wasn't excited about the um, environments in which he was working. So he got involved in doing this in a professional setting and hung out his own shingle began working with a handful of local organizations like the police department, school district, et cetera. This is all in suburban Chicago. And over time then, built the business to include working with a number of different high-profile organizations, uh, including Northwestern Mutual, which is where the two of us met years ago. And so that family business connection was the entree for me to the world of coaching, and also to a number of client systems that I continue to work with today. So that was really the first time that I thought uh, that this kind of work would be possible. Uh, I feel grateful to this day that my dad was a pioneer in doing this sort of work very early on in the culture, and that I was able to see him as an example of somebody who could not only work in the growth and development space, but also had the entrepreneurial spirit and was willing to just go start up a business and develop what he wanted to work in. So that's kind of the first part of the answer. Uh, the second is that when I was young and my parents separated and then ultimately divorced, I spent a lot of time as an only child from that marriage feeling really alone and not quite sure how to handle my situation, what to do. Uh, I had resources available to me, but not necessarily on a day-to-day -day basis, no siblings, not a lot of other family that I was close to. And so I had an experience where I did feel quite by myself. And while I 
think I did a good job of uh, finding what I needed and, and ma- maintaining a sense of being grounded. Um, I really do feel a calling in the world to be a guide and a support to other people who are going through changes, transitions, uh, and, and difficult experiences. So I think that many of us do work in the world that we feel we were prepared for earlier in life, maybe came through a challenge or a unique circumstance. Uh, and so for me, the idea of taking on very difficult challenges and overcoming obstacles and, and getting to a real defined outcome, you know, that's something I was doing pretty early in my life in a purely personal setting. And I think a lot of those experiences helped shape me into the professional that I uh, am today. You mentioned a calling to be a guide to people that are going through difficult situations or changes. How do you think, David, you recognized coaching was your true calling? You know, that's an interesting question. There are a couple of different answers to that. The, the first is, as I was describing some of my background experiences a moment ago, a persistent challenge accompanied me throughout that and certainly into my early adult years when I was getting started as a, a full-time professional. And I think this has also turned into a, a coaching mantra of mine and a way to attract the right sorts of clients. For a lot of those experiences in my life, I really felt like a great person trapped in a good person's body. So I felt like I've got all this talent, intelligence, social skills, big picture thinking, the ability to shift perspectives, intimacy building. These were all talents that in some cases came very naturally to me and in others I developed. But I felt consistently that I wasn't able to really bring those talents out and manifest them in the ways that I wanted to in a personal, professional, those two settings or really anywhere else. And so for me, as I did my own work and was able to more fully manifest those talents that not only I thought the world needed, but I wanted to express, I wanted to fully be myself, I started to really identify in myself first some ability in connecting those dots and creating those sorts of trails that people could follow. And it struck me that being in a helping role that way was a really good application of my own experiences that could show up in in the world and people would pay me and it'd be a a great mutual fit. So that's kind of a a narrative answer to it. What, What I would say goes along with that is When I was uh, five years out of uh, undergrad and my dad and I talked about working together, I did that, stepped into the role. And after about six months of doing behind the scenes project work, I got a chance to work in person and I got dropped into a meeting called a client builder. I know you know very well what those are. I didn't know what a client builder was. I wasn't sure what I was doing. I didn't really get a whole lot of preparation as to what the meeting was even about. And I sat there and made a few comments and people liked what I had to say and then subsequently invited me back. So that felt like pretty good confirmation that having very little idea as to what I was doing, I was able to be effective in that environment and people liked me. 
And so I felt like I got some pretty good market confirmation at that point. And I decided to listen to the audience and go forward with that. I connect with your example, David, because I too got uh, kind of thrown into coaching. I, I show up in this role and I'm told I'm going to be a coach. And I'm thinking, I've never coached before. What do you mean? What do I do? How does this work? And you figure it out. I know I was able to figure it out because it is what I am meant to do. I absolutely love helping people achieve the goals they want to achieve, maximize their potential, build their lives the way they want to build them. And I am forever grateful for that opportunity to be put into that situation and get the chance to figure it out and grow that skill set. From your perspective, what are some of the benefits of meeting with a coach? Great question. By the way, I knew there was a reason I liked you from the time we met because... <laughs> Apparently, we were on the same path in, in a number of ways. So that, that's a cool thing to even learn uh, now about you all these years later. Your question is a great question, not just because of the, the obvious interest that a lot of people have in coaching. And I know it's really become a growth field. When I first began doing this work, I'd sit on an airplane and make small talk with the person next to me. They'd say, what do you do? And I'd say, a coach. And they'd say, like... Is that football, basketball? Like there was just no conception that this could be a professional field and endeavor. And now when I say that, people are like, oh, that's great. Do you have your certification? And it's really accepted at this point as I think a very, you know, not only legitimate, but important field. I really believe that, co that coaching is becoming the gateway to all meaningful growth, development, and change. And I say that because the world has really transformed, even from the time that I began doing this work. I feel like an old person saying this, but when I started, the idea of having access to best practices and, and good information still seemed, I don't know about rare, but it certainly seemed valuable. And so the idea when I'm first showing up, I'm in that meeting, the client builder meeting I was telling you about. The fact that I had some good ideas that maybe I'd picked up from somewhere else, whether it's another client or my own reading, it seemed valuable. We're in a world right now where everybody's pretty much got access to all the information that's available in the public sphere. And there's not really a question of what good thinking is out there or what good looks like. But as one of my mentors shared with me, years ago, good ideas are overrated. It's what you can do with them that counts. And for me, coaching is fundamentally about doing something with good ideas, taking something from concept to application to result. And that is just simply not an easy process, but it's not even possible in a lot of cases, in my experience, without the direct support of a coach. I studied organization development. That's what my master's uh, degree is in. You know, a, a lot of colleagues and peers that I work with now have you know MBAs from top flight universities. And 
everybody is walking around with an incredible amount of information and an endless supply of good ideas. But I think absent a meaningful coaching relationship, doesn't have to be me, doesn't have to be you, but absent some sort of meaningful coaching style relationship, the ability to actually make use of these ideas and to derive meaningful personal benefit is nearly impossible. I think coaches make ideas work. I believe that we've got the answers within us to do what it is that we need to do. And as a coach, it is my job to ask the questions, to help pull those answers out of you, but then also to provide the accountability, the support to get you to take action. Just like you shared, David, it's taking concept moving to application, and then generating a result. One of the reasons I believe people don't take more action is fear. Talk to us a little bit about your perception of fear and how you have seen fear show up in the coaching process. I would agree with you that fear is the main, if not one of the main blockers for just about everybody who is struggling with growth in their own situation. So I'm, I'm trying to give an answer that is not just sort of a, a, a standard answer to that, because I think, again, a lot of people really understand that it tend to be about things that aren't necessarily real or worst case scenarios, and that there's a grounding experience that coaches can offer. But you know, if I really try to get to the, the core of this and, and what I think has been so useful for me in my own personal work and the support I've offered with my clients, it's this idea that growth comes when you can get lost with confidence. And that's a sort of developed or, or paraphrased quote from one of my favorite authors, Robert Quinn. And he talks about the, the, the experience of, of working through deep change and how it's a sometimes terrifying always uncomfortable experience, and that the ability to really work through those challenges and those fears allows a person to get lost with confidence moving forward. So there's this sense that I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I am not sure where this is leading. There are, are no guarantees of an outcome, but I'm confident that I'll figure it out along the way and that I've got trust in myself to be able to pull this off. And part of the reason that getting lost with confidence is really a possibility is because of some of the work that I've done studying a particular author named Joseph Campbell, who wrote about a, a structure called the hero's journey. And he was essentially an anthropologist. He, he was an academic, an author, speaker, ran a lot of workshops. He passed away in the late 1980s, but it, it's very easy to find his lectures and, and materials online if you, you do a search for Joseph Campbell. And essentially, he identified, it's a bit of a complex concept, so I'll just try, try to be as, as brief about it as possible, but a format or a well-worn path that everybody experiences when they undergo 
meaningful change, deep change, transformational change, whatever adjective you want to use. And that looks like departing the familiar, so leaving the known, entering into a space with confusion, danger, and massive struggle. So essentially where the individual proves him or herself by taking on a challenge or ordeal. And if successful in overcoming that challenge, there's learning and, and, and gains that are experienced. And then a return to the familiar with the application or use of that new gift or learning or growth that was achieved. And many of your listeners have probably heard the hero's journey. It uh, is occasionally trendy. For example, the whole Star Wars franchise, the entire story came from George Lucas reading Joseph Campbell's material. So every once in a while, it kind of gets you know, pulled back into the spotlight and discussed. And you know, people, whether they're in the entertainment world, the business world, other worlds, academic worlds, find value in this. But for me, knowing that there is a pathway out there allows me to get lost with confidence. Change can be such a lonely experience, right? And I know uh, in my own head, I get these messages that go off like, you're not making it. This is not going well. You're going too slow. This should be different. You should be farther ahead. You should be doing something different. I, I know that goes through my head. I know from the coaching work that, that I do, and, and, and I'm sure you experience the same thing. People are thinking those thoughts all the time, worrying about those comparisons and challenges. And so it can really, it's really easy to get into that space of believing that my situation is wrong. It should be different. And for me to really understand that there is a stepwise process to go through, it's not always clean and perfect and linear but it generally follows uh, a, a particular direction, really allows me to rest in that confidence and certainty that a commitment to moving through a, a, a change cycle like that on my own hero's journey, that is ultimately what leads to not only a short-term, near-term victory and win, but a lifetime of abundance, reward, and success. David, as you share the path for deep change, the hero's journey, you start by departing with what's familiar. You enter a space of confusion, frustration, then you move on to learning, and then you're back to the familiar with an element of massive growth that has happened. I'm curious, as you talk about the stories, and I call these negative mental narratives, the shoulds, the could-haves, the ruminating, the overthinking, the worrying, the fear, the anxiety, we all have them. It's this head trash. Do you think that head trash is showing up in the confusion stage of the hero's journey? Is that part of the journey? Is this head trash and we got to work through it? 
Yeah, I mean, 100%. I know we have experience working with a lot of the same populations of people, folks who are, are in entrepreneurial settings and starting up their own work or developing their own personal practice or business. And I really believe that the main challenge that anybody I work with faces is the small thinking, fear, scarcity mindset. Most of us, I, I would say, think we have a pretty objective view of the world that we see it as it is. But I really have to check people on a regular basis about truly how abundant the world is and how much there is out there for everybody to experience. The, the main obstacle that you're speaking to is the sort of negative messaging, the head trash, it really distorts that view of what the world truly has to offer. If the world were a place that had no opportunity and only a couple of people were successful and everybody else struggled, that really does not reflect the, the, the life that you know the majority of people live in. And every coaching client I have lives in, there's, there's enough for everyone to go around and there's enough success in the pie for everyone to achieve what they're looking for. But the question becomes, how well are people going to move through the daunting, challenging uh, tests that are going to bring out in them the greatness and, and abilities that they have? Or how much are they going to stay in, in a safe, comfortable, but stuck space? Share with us, David, some practices or strategies to move through that daunting space you just spoke about. How do we move through this hero's journey without giving up? That is a great question. And I was thinking about this in, in preparation for the call. And I actually think I would answer this a little bit differently now than when you and I last worked together three or four years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. I actually now believe that self-care is maybe one of the keys to making it through the challenges and, and, and ups and downs of 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 growth and and of of transformation as people go through it i i really have shifted some of my opinions about muscling it about you know really like overwhelming situations with force and intensity i i i think that maintaining confidence being optimistic, holding situations lightly, as lightly as is possible and appropriate, is a very, very important path forward. And sometimes I think of it this way. You've got at least one child, right? I do. I have one daughter. You have one daughter. I have one daughter as well. And I remember when she was younger and going through all the sleeping challenges and all those different phases. And I'm sure you have those memories seared into your uh, consciousness as well. And I, I remember that at certain points, I would get so incredibly frustrated that I wanted something to happen that wasn't. I wanted her to go to sleep now or go to sleep a half an hour ago or stop waking up or stop asking for milk or water or whatever it was, whatever diversion was up. 
And I remember at that time that, you know, I kind of had two ways of handling that, right? One is to just accept the situation as it was and, and try to do my best in that situation and, you know, guide it, but be in like full acceptance of it. Or I could get irritable and angry and stop my foot and growl at my daughter and talk to her through gritted teeth and, and, and basically express in kind of, uh, passive aggressive ways, my, my frustration. And, you know, I did my fair share of both. So, you know, not the perfect parent, but when I was able to accept the situation, be kind to myself and go with the flow, I just found everything worked out better. And I had a better experience. My daughter had a better experience and her maturation and development took care of all the challenges eventually, right? And I, I think that, to me, that's a really good example of a lot of the challenges that people face in life where they're dealing with something that they don't like and don't want, uh, are looking to have a, a, a different experience, and are trying to somehow force it into existence and then becoming not only frustrated at the lack of a different result, but frustrated that the effort was not paying off. And I think that what that does is take people almost out of a natural state and out of a healthy approach and into one that feels, you know, exhausting and coercive and, and even depressing. And for me, when I have helped people accept their situation Focus on what they can do and control. Find humor, even in, in, in the circumstance. There's an energetic shift that feels incredibly potent to me. And what I have found is that when people have that approach to their situation, they do rise to the occasion and they do engage in the right appropriate change in the moment. But it doesn't come from beating oneself up. It comes from rising, lifting oneself up. And especially these days with so much disruption in the environment and chaos and the news and pandemic and, and everything else, that taking a self-care forward approach is helping people not just manage the challenges of the environment, but move through the growth and development process in, in such a more productive way. I know in my own business, if I'm feeling incredibly frustrated and I'm looking at things through a negative lens and I, I feel those negative mental narratives kicking up in my head, it is usually a sign I have deviated too far from my self-care practices. I've gone to a place of, I'm so busy, I'm so overwhelmed, I need to bypass the things that I know are good for me and work, the simple yet powerful practices such as meditation, gratitude, reading. I will push aside to go to work and to work harder and to work more, and it actually does the opposite for me. I work with a lot of clients who are women in financial services. And a lot of my clients are saying, Kristen, I am constantly being told to work harder, 
do more. The answer to every one of my business problems is keep more meetings, make more phone calls, do more, do more. And I heard you say, David, that you went through a shift in your thinking and you are moving away from that thought process of everything has to be solved with more effort. Will you tell us more about that shift? And then how are you working with leaders to help them embrace that shift in thinking as well? Great question and uh, phenomenal topic area. So I think it is fair to say that some of the aspects of what we're talking about do involve massive amounts of effort. So I, I don't want to be too glib about that. Lots of people, especially in early stages of launching a business or, or launching an endeavor, they're going to have to put in a lot of time. And that is certainly a part of it. But for me, that's not so much of a of always a coaching situation or coaching opportunity because you know people don't need to hire me to say work more. They can figure that out on their own. But there there comes a point in most most people's situation, whether they're in an expansion part of their business or more advanced or more sophisticated level, where it, it becomes more about their presence than it does just simply about their effort. And when it comes to doing high-level financial services work or high-level any other kind of work, people are going to respond not just to the volume of things that you've done or the number of hours that you're putting in. They're going to respond to the way you show up, the, the, the sense of energy that you carry. People in financial services are, are, are going to be remembered for the way they made their clients feel. Their clients feel satisfied, clients feel excited, clients feel exuberant. And so in order to be able to deliver a, a presence or an experience that has a profound effect on people, that doesn't come just through hours at the office or throwing pure time and, and, and sweat and, and elbow grease at a situation. And I think there's actually a point where it, it flips and the harder you work, the less effective you become because it's draining your energy. It, it, it's creating a, almost like a doom loop where the more you work, the less present you are, which means the more effort you have to uh, make to compensate for the lack of presence. And people can find themselves in what feels like quicksand type of experience where the harder they work, uh, the more they sink into the pit. The people I'm coaching and whether they're, they're in sales or they're in leadership positions and organizations, I think are really fundamentally wrestling with this because the majority of people in the knowledge economy now could literally work 24 hours a day. I mean, there's just no limit to the things they could be doing at any, any given point in time. And most of those things would be meaningful and, and valuable to do, at least for somebody to do. So the challenge now that I see uh, my clients experiencing is uh, one, how to prioritize and know what the key things are that they need to be doing and what they can defer to somebody else, delegate, collaborate, or put off or, or, or not deal with in, in, in the moment. And then how to show up in a way that has a profound impact and 
shifts people's view of what's possible or creates a sense of intimacy and connection that drives the desire for a lifetime relationship. Those don't come through effort. Those come through embodiment and connection. And embodiment and connection are, again, back to the self-care concept, cultivated from within. It's a sense of knowing who I am, what my work in the world is, and how I can invite people into that experience. And that has to live on a platform of effort and a platform of movement. There's no doubt about it. People need folks to work with. But at some point, the greater investment of time and energy is going to be in the delivery of self, in the engagement and the work that comes through that exchange. And when that really becomes a powerful part of somebody's presence in, in how they work with people, whether they're, they're clients and prospects out in the marketplace or peers or reports within an organization, when that becomes a powerful part of the work they do, it actually requires less face time and less effort. And I think that can be a virtuous cycle that people in, end up in is they bring and embody the best of who they are. And just showing up in a room has an impact on people. You talked about the importance of learning how to prioritize and how to delegate so you can show up with the right amount of presence and be able to make that impact. Speak to us a little bit or share with us a couple of ideas to figure out what to prioritize and what are some strategies to make sure you're delegating the right work? Let me answer the question this way, Kristen. I'll try to keep it relatively short, but I'm a big inside out type of thinker when it comes to these sorts of topics. So I think there's a a belief behind the, the behavior. So I really think like beliefs drive behaviors and behaviors drive results. There's a you know, framework that I often use called be, do, have, which speaks to that. So when I think about your question, asking for techniques uh, to be able to delegate, prioritize, I think it fundamentally comes down to a belief about who am I, right, as this individual in the world. And this is a, a pretty well-used phenomenon or, or condition right now, but I think imposter syndrome plagues a lot of people. And I would be willing to bet a lot of the people you were talking about, especially folks in the financial services industry, maybe don't have as much of a a history with that or building their business. And this idea that I'm the worker, I need to be hustling at every single moment. Like there's almost a a, a badge of honor, exhaustion and, and burnout. And I think that that my experience is that's very often caused by this imposter syndrome going on internally within people's heads, thinking like, well, who am I to meet with that person? Who am I to ask somebody to support me with this work? Who am I to delegate a task to, to somebody else? I'll just, it's quicker for me to do it. I should be doing this. I haven't earned the right to be able to hand this off yet. And And I think that's the majority of the battle. And I think when people are able to see themselves as a successful professional, as somebody 
who's focusing on connection with prospects and clients, not just putting in effort behind the scenes. I think that's the biggest shift. I think when that imposter syndrome gets addressed, gets kind of brought in, into the open and named and worked through, the the solutions, the behavior changes are pretty simple. You just find a resource, ask somebody to help or in, engage with a peer, whatever it is practically in the moment. So to me, the biggest challenge is in the belief about who am I? What experience do I deserve to have? And when can I actually be supported? When can I ask for support and come to expect that out of important relationships in my life? That framework, you provide it. Belief, behavior, result can be applied to so many different elements of growing a business, growing a career, growing yourself. And that's a brilliant place for us to leave our audience today with that thought of understanding who am I and how am I viewing myself so we can continue to grow and experience the deep change you spoke about. David, you shared with us a pathway for understanding how change happens, where we depart with the familiar, enter into a space of confusion, learn, and then return to that familiar space. And we need to be mindful of those negative mental narratives that show up on that pathway for change and growth. And you uh, helped us understand the importance of self-care and how self-care is so much more than a post that we see on social media or a buzzword, but how self-care can really lead to us establishing an abundance mentality, the ability to move through our change, and also to understand how we can show up as our best selves. So thank you for all that you have shared with our listeners here today. That's great. It's been wonderful to chat with you, Kristen, and looking forward to seeing you again in the near future. And with that, Goal Achievers, keep celebrating your weekly wins, noting the lessons that you learn, and identify your priorities for the next week so you can consistently make progress in the direction of your goals. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you are feeling inspired and want to join the Goal Achievers community, visit my website to sign up and get connected. We can also connect socially on Instagram. Follow me at Meet Kristen Burke. Links are in the show notes. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this show. Until next time, Goal Achievers, keep progressing towards your goals and celebrate those weekly wins. Oh,